turning around and watching the thing as I'm trying to get, you know, trying to move, but I stopped and turned and watched this because I was in such awe. I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. And plus, I realized it's alive. It was just, I don't know, never seen anything that big, moving that fast, and it was just something else. It was stunning. But I'm thinking, I hope nobody's in the water, you know, with this thing coming through. It, it looked, to me, fearsome, not like you know, something you'd want to go up to a pet or something. I don't know, maybe because of its size, maybe because it was moving so fast, maybe because I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I haven't talked about it much because, for one thing, most people, I think, are like I was. I figured it. Anybody that saw it was talking about it was either making up the story or they were drunk or something, you know? Right. Because it was disputed every time anybody would say anything. And I remember, you know, I told my family, and they think it's awesome that I saw it. It was the light was just coming over the lake, just barely. Um, and we were in the water, and we had noticed something keep popping out of the water. That's what brought our attention to it. And then we got out of the water and, you know, got up on the break wall, and it kept, like, swimming in a big figure eight and Mm. it was going slow and then it would stop and then stick its head out of the water and then it would go back under and it just stayed you know in the same area just doing that um over and over until the sun came up to where we could not see it anymore my parents did not believe me not one bit at all no my mom said she did but she didn't either until it was in the newspaper like two weeks later and i was just like i told you did they believe you after they saw that after that yeah yeah after that they did (laughs) hello and welcome to ohio folklore i'm your host melissa davies I'm so glad you could join me. Today we're exploring a maritime legend that's been around for centuries. Most people don't think of the sea when they think of Ohio. Like most Midwestern states, we're landlocked. That is, with one important exception on our northern border. Lake Erie, our freshwater sea, holds a special allure for many Ohioans. It's long been a destination for vacationers, fishermen and women, and boating enthusiasts. Its role in commerce can't be underestimated, as its shipping lanes are frequented, connecting Lakes Huron and Ontario on either side. She's seen a lot of history, like Native Americans settling on her shores, early European explorers, and maritime battles. According to local folklore, her waves don't only conceal rotting shipwrecks. Deep beneath the surface, lurking in the dark, still waters, The Lake Erie monster prowls along Erie's bed. Her snake-like body glides. Her full length from head to tail is said to be about 30 feet, the width of her body about two feet in diameter. Some have compared her to a giant eel with an elongated and graceful midsection. Her head is consistently compared to that of a snake with a pointed snout and two rows of razor-sharp teeth. She often surfaces when the water is calm sometimes at night, when anglers and weekenders are turning in from a long day on the lake. If the moon is high and the sky is clear, 
you can see her breach the surface. She's known to sidle up to vessels of all sizes, rising her body a couple of feet into the air. Some spotters have observed her full length, with the humps of her midsection rising above the surface of the water. Some call her Bessie. That name is a hybrid. It's partially a nod to Nessie, the more notorious lake serpent of the Loch Ness in Scotland. It also refers to the Davis Bessie nuclear power plant in Port Clinton. Others call her Lemmy. That name derives from the initials of the Lake Erie monster. But long before the creature was known as either Bessie or Lemmy, she was known to the native tribes that inhabited the shores of Lake Erie. One oral history passed down through the generations of the Ohio Seneca tells of an evil spirit that commands a huge serpent which lives in Erie's depths. The Iroquois, on the other hand, have spoken of the creature known as Oniare, the dragon-like horned beast that travels the Great Lakes. She was known to capsize canoes in order to devour their inhabitants. An offering made to Hinnon, god of thunder, helped ensure safe passage on the lake. Despite this Native American history, as is the case with most discoveries by early European explorers, white men claimed to be the first to have laid eyes on the beast. The first such account was that of the crew of the Felicity. In 1793, this sloop was out on a duck hunting expedition when it encountered the creature just north of present-day Sandusky, Ohio. It was said to have accidentally disturbed and startled the beast. Many accounts would follow into the 19th century, including a rash of sightings in 1817. Various attempts to shoot the creature with muskets seemed to make no impact. One particular sighting on a beach west of Port Clinton that same year involved a pair of brothers who were French settlers named Dussault. They wrote an account of finding the creature thrashing on the beach. It appeared to be in pain or even dying. At over 30 feet in length, it was impossible to move it, so they ran to get help. And when they returned, all that was left was the disturbed mounds of sand from its flailing on the beach. The brothers collected scales the size of silver dollars that had fallen from it before its disappearance. Inexplicably, the legend then went quiet for many decades until, in 1892, the entire crew of the schooner, Madeline, would witness the beast during their voyage from Buffalo to Toledo. The captain spotted something strange about a half mile out and ordered the vessel to halt. The entire crew watched as the creature thrashed about in the open sea, as though battling with some unforeseen foe beneath the waves. When it finally became still, it relaxed and stretched to its full length. Comparing it to the size of the vessel, crew members would confirm a length of more than 50 feet with a diameter of four feet. One crew member would remark that it was a terrible looking object. It had vicious sparkling eyes and a large head. A smattering of similar reports continued over the next century until a true surge of sightings in the late 1980s and early 1990s. One well-publicized account occurred on Labor Day, September 4, 1990. 67-year-old Harold Bricker his wife and his son were out for a day's fishing trip on the lake. Just as they reached a position north of Cedar Point Amusement Park, 
All three of the family members claim to have witnessed the creature come within 1,000 feet of their vessel. Frightened, Harold stepped on the gas, but the creature kept pace. It appeared to be 35 feet long, black, and had a snake-like head. Before the end of September 1990, three more sightings would be reported along the Erie shore. One such report was from two fire inspectors from Huron, one of whom was also a retired Coast Guardsman. They claimed to have seen the creature while looking out a third-story window facing the lake. They believed it to be black and about 30 or 40 feet long. This rash of sightings would lead the editor of the weekly newspaper in Port Clinton to run a contest to name the beast. The name Bessie would win out. The owner of the Huron Marina then offered a $5,000 reward to anyone who could capture the beast alive. No one ever came forward to collect the sum. I'd like to add two accounts to the list of known sightings that we've just reviewed. These accounts come from two women who claim to have witnessed the beast within the two-year period prior to the well-known Labor Day sighting in 1990. Our first observer is Miss Bev Williams of South Amherst, Ohio. She will never forget a family excursion to the Huron Pier and Lighthouse one summer day in 1988. Bev, her husband, and three young children had walked down the half-mile pier to the stark white lighthouse. For those of you who've never been there yourself, the pier is comprised of a long jetty that parallels the Huron River as it empties out into the lake. It's a sought-after fishing spot by both humans and waterfowl. The southern portion of the pier is cement, but the northern portion is comprised of huge limestone blocks with flattened surfaces. If you have steady feet, you can walk the full distance on the uneven blocks all the way out to the lighthouse. This is what Bev and her young family had done that fateful day. At the start of the journey, the weather had been fair and the day pleasant and mostly unremarkable. But shortly after they reached the lighthouse, darkened storm clouds gathered ominously over the lake. Lake Erie has long had a reputation for storms popping up quickly. You can find many YouTube videos of unlucky boaters getting caught up in them. Erie is the warmest and the shallowest of all the Great Lakes, owning up to fast-approaching storms that produce waves recorded as high as 25 feet. In any case, Bev and her husband soon gathered their children to make their return to their parked car at the other end of the long pier. She held the baby while her husband corralled their two young children. Her focus was to stay on her feet as she traversed the uneven limestone blocks while keeping firm hold of her baby. It only took one momentary glance, looking up and to her left, as she approached the mouth of the Huron River. This is her description of her encounter with the unknown creature, only yards away from her swimming along the pier. I don't know how far along I was on the thing, but, you know, looking ahead and saw this thing bobbing along. It looked to me like it was bobbing along, but moving was, the, you know, coming towards me. Uh-huh. And um, like I said, it just looked like a giant inner tube. That's what I thought it was. Or, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but sometimes they tie tires to a, a dock or to a, a pier so that boats can dock. 
and that's like the buoy forum. <laughs> uh huh. So that's what I was thinking it was that that had gotten loose because of how strong the waves were. Right. And, and so I was watching this thing. It wasn't as big. You know how they have those exercise balls? It wasn't that big, but it was about that kind of shape and the skin or whatever you call it. That's what it kind of looked like. Would be one of those balls. Only it was like a grayish or black. It was dark, whatever it was. Okay. And I had never read about Bessie. I mean, I knew that people were saying they had sighted this thing. But like I said, I thought it was a fish, a giant fish, not this creature like what I saw. So when I saw it, I thought, I wonder if that's what it is. And I had not read about it. You know, I don't even think we owned a computer back then to Google anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and as we got closer, I don't know if you can picture what I'm trying to say about how it was going up and down moving but it was moving very swiftly, staying right to the edge of the rocks, and I can only describe it as like an S motion, but, and I have no idea how long the thing was. I just know that, and it was so smooth, the way it was going through the water. Okay. It was, it was moving, though. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, the body of it was moving. It was in motion. Okay. It wasn't just gliding. It was like swimming how... I have seen a snake being chased by a dog. So uh, when a snake is running, he's not holding his head up like you see him in water. He's going in an S motion very, very fast. I would never want a snake chasing me. Well, that's what this thing was doing. He was going in that motion, up, down, up, down. But it was transferring through parts of his body or her body. <laughs> uh -huh. thing was. I want to call it a him, even though I call it Bessie. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but the whole body was involved. It wasn't just like it was floating along or anything. So it, it was, was very much in motion. It was clearly propelling itself with the right. with the motion. Yeah. And just so I understand where you were in relation to it, you were walking down the pier back towards the beach. And right. it, it was... Uh, not really that much of a beach there. Okay. Or at least the coastline. And yeah. so... Coastline between the lake... The pier is there, and then the, there, the lake is at the end of the pier, and then to my left, walking back, was the, it's the Huron River. Okay. That it was coming out of. So it was actually coming out of the river, mm -hmm. the mouth of the river, and then you're... Toward the, toward the lake. So it was swimming out towards the lake, is what you saw it doing. Mm -hmm. Now that's really... But I was still on the rough rocks when I saw it, not on the big pier. I wouldn't have even been on the edge if I'd have been on the big pier. I would have been towards the middle for sure. But out on the rocks, it's not that wide. Sure. And so you just kind of, once you saw it, you sped up? Or you, do you remember what you did at that moment? I just remember turning around and watching the thing as I'm trying to get, you know, trying to move. But I stopped and turned and watched this thing because I was in such awe. I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. And plus, I realized it's alive. It's not an inner tube or a tire. It was just, I don't know, never had seen anything that big moving that fast. And it was just something else. It was stunning. It, and it was fearful because I'm thinking, I hope nobody's in the water, you know, with this thing coming through. It looked, to me, fearsome, not like you know, something you'd want to go up to a pet or something. I don't know, maybe because of its size, maybe because it was moving so fast, maybe because I'd never seen anything like it in my life. So basically you're saying that you kind of had this instinctual 
fearfulness um, just for the size of it, and you recognized it was a danger. But you also were kind of awestruck at the same right. time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just trying to understand what you were seeing, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And you could see um, just the body of it. You couldn't see any head or appendages. No, it was like the head was staying under the water, like it didn't need to see where it was going, or like other fish, I guess it could see underwater. Sure. I don't know. I just know that it was making good speed and was huge and long. I mean, I don't even like talking about it, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> the sensation that I had when I saw this huge thing right next to me, and I'm with my youngest child, who's very small. I don't know what I thought. I don't know if I thought it could come and get us or if you had to be in the water to meet up with it. But whatever, I did not want to meet the thing. And yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate you talking with me about it, even though it makes you anxious to think of it. Yeah, well, yeah. I haven't talked about it much because, for one thing, most people I think are like I was. I figured it. Anybody that saw it was talking about it was either making up the story or they were drunk or something, you know. Right. Because it was disputed every time anybody would say anything. And I remember, you know, I told my family, and they think it's awesome that I saw it. I mean, they're still, I actually sent them what I wrote to you, just said, here's the story, you know. It does make you wonder, you know, what is going on and, you know, maybe there's... And why do we never see it? But I wonder if, if it is somehow something that stays low. I don't know, because it wasn't coming up for air. And because mm. of the turbulence, maybe, in the water, that it was trying to get out of there. I don't know if the river was more rough than the lake, and that's why it was in a hurry to get out of there, or... But maybe uh, what I'm trying to say is maybe we're not seeing them because we're not out in the storms. Oh. And if that's when they move to the surface to make time, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. But that would be interesting if other people would write down when they saw it, if it was like a storm or something. I yeah. don't know. It does make you wonder, especially since the storm was approaching. And do you recall if the waves were pretty high when mm-hmm. you saw it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there could be all kind of theories about maybe, you know, why it would want to be out in the open lake with the fish all getting stirred up with the storm coming in. Yeah, that could be too. Huh. Wow. I don't know. My initial thought was that it was something that got loose from the dock or, you know, some kind of, who knows, you know, in a storm what could be picked up and moved down a river. And, um, you know... I don't know. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. And then when I saw that it was uh, not just a blob going along beside me, that's when I stopped and turned and watched this thing. And it was like, oh, my goodness. So are you thinking that the shape of what you saw, was it like the shape of a a snake in terms of the section of the body that you could see? Um, Maybe, but it was giant if you want to compare it to a snake. Like a giant snake. Uh, there was no, well, I don't know what the underside of it looked like, but, yeah. you know, somebody put up a picture. It looked kind of dinosaurish. It did not look like that. It, and what I saw was pretty uniform. Gotcha. But, you know, like I say, I was probably just seeing part of it because it was in this uh, continuous motion. It was moving. It was just, and it was so fluid. Okay. You know, the way it was just, I don't even know how to describe it.
a monster is certainly not what we expect to see, especially when we're enjoying a weekend with the family, basking in nature's glory. Bev wasn't the only person to have such an experience. Early before dawn on one summer's day in 1989, a 13-year-old Erica Witted and three of her girlfriends snuck out of her home. They had enjoyed a sleepover the night before and slipped out of the house before the adults woke up. They headed down to the beach near Geneva, Ohio, to watch the sunrise. Turns out, the group of them would find something much more mysterious and mesmerizing than the sun. I guess sometimes it pays to break the rules. The light was just coming over the lake, just barely. Um, and we were in the water, and we had noticed something keep popping out of the water. That's what brought our attention to it. And then we got out of the water and, you know, got up on the break wall, and it kept, like, swimming in a big figure eight. And mm -hmm. it was going slow, and then it would stop and then stick its head out of the water, and then it would go back under, and it just stayed, you know, in the same area, just doing that um, over and over until the sun came up to where we could not see it anymore. Okay. And can you describe what the head looked like? So the head looked like a snake. Yeah, it looked more like a snake. It was probably, what we seen was like 40 to 50 feet long. Wow. Was what it looked like, what we had seen. And um, about two weeks later, it was in the newspaper that a fisherman had seen it. It went under his boat, and he said it was about 50 to 60 feet long. So the, the head looked like a snake, like the shape of a snake where it's pointed kind of at the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see no other humps or anything. I we could just notice by the way it was, you know, swimming in the figure eight. Was this a common thing for you and your friends to go down to the beach in the mornings? Not that early. <laughs> we probably weren't supposed to be down there, but you know, we just happened to be down there and we had seen that. How many of there were you? There was four of us. Okay. And, of course, all four of you could see the same thing. Yeah, we all seen it, yeah. Mm. Um, and do, do you have an estimate about how far out it was? Or is that... Maybe, like, a half a mile out. But it was close enough for, you know, for us to see what, it, you know, it moving and the way the water was moving because it had to have been pretty close to the top. And you said it was um, about an hour that you watched it? Um, yeah, until the sun came up to where, you know, to where we could not see it anymore. It was about a good hour. So there was something about the sun coming up that made it so it was harder to see? Yeah, it was harder to see. In the sun. That seems um, not what you would expect. but It was the glare of the sun on the water. Oh. We don't know if it went down or if it, you know, if it was still there. We just wasn't able to see it anymore because of the reflection. So you could see uh, the the body of it first when it was doing the figure eights. We spotted the head first. Oh, you spotted the head first. Yeah, and then we had, then we were just like closely watching it, 
and then we could see the body going back and forth. Then the head would come out, out like every few minutes, and then it would go back down, and then, you know, it do a few more of its figure eights, and then it would come back, you know, it was just doing that. What kind of things did you guys say about it to each other when you were watching it? We just thought it was a big snake, you know, and just saying that we would not want to be in there and it come upon us. <laughs> the fisherman that seen it and seen how big it was, oh, I bet you he was uh, terrified, but at least he was in a boat. That must have been quite a story for you guys. When you came home, did you talk to your parents about it? I did, and my parents did not believe me. Not one bit? At all. No, my mom said she did, but she didn't either until it was in the newspaper like two weeks later. And I was just like, I told you. Did they believe you after they saw that? After that, yeah. Yeah, after that they did. Both Bev and Erica refrained from coming forward with their stories until now, for fear of not being believed. And who can blame them? For the most part, we humans at the top of the food chain like to see ourselves as all-powerful. But we also like to see ourselves as all-knowing when it comes to the species that inhabit the planet along with us. An unknown gigantic variety of snake or eel or some strange fish can't possibly exist off the shores of Ohio's only Great Lake, right? Over the years, many theories have been bandied about as to just what the Lake Erie monster is. One of the most popular theories points to giant lake sturgeon. Sturgeon are a North American freshwater fish that encompass 25 separate species. Evolutionarily speaking, they're ancient bottom feeders. Their appearance is decidedly fish-like, not snake or eel, with straight bodies bearing rows of bony plates. They have a spade-like snout that helps them stir up sediment on the lake bottom when feeding. For a freshwater fish, they can be behemoths at up to 7 feet long and weighing over 240 pounds. These fish are impressive, no doubt, but they certainly don't fit the descriptions of a 30-foot-long, graceful, snake-like body with defined snake-like heads. Another popular theory is that the Lake Erie monster is a leftover from prehistoric times, the forgotten dinosaur of the Great Lakes. This theory, though, is easily disputed when we consider that Lake Erie, in its current form, first existed about 4,000 years ago, when glacier ice carved it out from the rest of the landscape. The dinosaurs, on the other hand, died off eons before that, about 66 million years ago. A third explanation is not as much a theory as an interesting observation. Cryptozoologists are pseudoscientists who study hidden animals around the world. They've identified what they call the monster latitudes of 40 to 60 degrees north. The most well-documented cases of large serpent-like aquatic creatures exist within these latitudes across the globe. The most famous, the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland, allegedly resides at 57 degrees north. Our Lake Erie is situated at 42 degrees north. The basic assumption is that it's the similarities in climate and seasonal changes that produce the ideal conditions 
for this mysterious and elusive species to thrive. During the rash of sightings in the early 1990s, an actual scientist, a zoologist from The Ohio State University, Mr. Charles Herdendorf, was duly consulted by media sources. He calculated how many monsters the lake could hold. After accounting for the creature's alleged size and considering the number of fish each would need to consume on a daily basis. At an average length of about 35 feet, he guessed a total of 175 monsters could be supported by Erie's food supply. He admitted the odds that such a creature existed were quite low. And he hypothesized that the sightings were actually an optical illusion caused by schools of lake carp swimming in narrow bands in the shallows. Is it possible for such a creature to have evaded the scientific community for centuries? A quick Google search turns up countless new discoveries of marine life in recent years. For example, in March 2019, oceanographers announced that they had discovered a new species of orca called Type D living off the coast of Chile. The question is, could a body of water at the limited size and depth of Lake Erie contain undiscovered species of that size and scale? A famous video filmed in 1991 by a camp director on Kelly's Island is easily found. You can find it on Ohio Folklore's Facebook page as well. Like all cryptid videos, the quality is poor, the images are blurred and overexposed. It lasts a minute and 40 seconds, and it's worth a view. The camera operator seems to be filming the sun setting over the lake, with the lighthouse in the left portion of the frame. He zooms out to reveal a small boat in the foreground before panning right to something just breaching the surface of the water. At about the 37 second mark, he captures something long and serpentine on the surface of the lake. As small waves crash over it, you can see its curvature. But about seven seconds later, the camera overexposes again to white. Just when you think that's all that can be seen, at about 1 minute 17 seconds, the camera settles on what looks like the same object, now stretched long and straight, with something breaching the surface where the head should be. Someone shouts, there it is, just at that time. And a couple seconds later, it disappears beneath the waves. The Lake Erie monster, whatever it was, or perhaps still is, has inspired the imagination of Ohioans for generations and some of us have found a way to cash in on the hype. Consider the Great Lakes Brewing Company, a craft beer manufacturer in Cleveland. 2011 would see their release of a seasonal brew, the Lake Erie Monster. The Imperial India Pale Ale label sports a fearsome serpent rising above the waves with pointed teeth and glowing eyes. Or perhaps consider the Cleveland Monsters, a minor league hockey team affiliate of the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets. Their logo depicts a sinister head with slanted eyes breaching the surface of the water. The name was chosen from researching focus groups around the Cleveland area. Need a little punk rock fury in your life? Try South Bass Bessie. The band debuted an album in 2002. Their Facebook page states that, quote, these days, the band comes and goes as they please, taking a cue from the mythical sea monster with which they share a name. Will you be there to catch a glimpse of South Bay Bessie the next time they return from the depths? 
Speaking of returning from the depths, the appearances of the Lake Erie monster do seem to come and go. One thing's for sure, Bessie, or Lemmy, or whatever you call this mysterious beast, lives on in Ohio folklore. She represents the part of nature that not only can't be tamed, but is perhaps unknowable. Maybe it's a humble lesson to consider our place in the animal kingdom as land-loving, air-breathing bipedals. Maybe all the scuba gear in the world can't give us a definitive look at what so many have glimpsed through the centuries. The most clearly defined rashes of sightings occurred around 1817, 1892, and the early 1990s. What explains these groupings of sightings, and perhaps more importantly, why did they stop? I wasn't able to find documents on sightings past the early 90s. In a strange way, it almost lends more credence to what people must have seen. I mean, if people were only seeing what they wanted to see, getting caught up in the hype, wouldn't we still be seeing it today? The legend certainly hasn't died in our imaginations and in our collective consciousness, as Ohio brewmasters, hockey fans, and punk rockers have proven. Perhaps the creature has gone dormant once more. Perhaps she migrated down the St. Lawrence and out into the stormy Atlantic. Perhaps the question of whether she returns is not left to us. We'll just have to keep watching. This concludes our episode on the Lake Erie Monster. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed hearing this folktale, please rate and review Ohio Folklore on your podcast platform. And if you have a legend you'd like to have featured in a future episode, please let me know. Ohio Folklore is easily found on Facebook, where you can stay updated as episodes are released. Until next time, I'm your host, Melissa Davies. Keep wondering.